0: Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Well, welcome to the final episode of our series on the Book of Acts. If you've been with us all the way through, can I thank you so much for following this amazing story to the end. And thank you to the live audience we have here who've done exactly that as we're recording these 47 videos to tell the amazing story of the early church over a 30-year period from the day of Pentecost until the time that Paul arrives and uh, is detained in Rome, which we're going to find out about in our final episode. And this whole Series 6 has been all about getting to Rome. I've said it many times, This was Paul's goal. He just saw in his mind's eye that that's where he needed to go once he'd spent so much time in the eastern Mediterranean countries preaching the gospel and planting churches. And in this series, we've seen the dramatic events that took place in Jerusalem when he went there, the imprisonment, the riots, uh, the trials and discussions with the authorities, and then the incredible sea voyage, which Luke describes so vividly. And which nearly came to a tragic end but everybody was saved when they landed in Malta even though the ship was destroyed 276 people survived miraculously and Paul and his companions spent three months in Malta and that's what we looked at in our last episode a surprising visit to an island Paul would never have imagined going to and a very warm welcome from the islanders much opportunity to preach about Christ and probably the formation of a church on the island of Malta itself. Malta is south of Italy in the central Mediterranean, not so far from Italy, not so far from Rome, and so there's one more part of the journey still to go. And then we'll see what happens when Paul actually arrives in the city of Rome. We're in Acts 28, and we're going to read from verses uh, 11 to 16. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figureheads of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Putioli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. We have to remember that Paul is under armed guard throughout this time, throughout this voyage, because the governor in Judea, had sent Paul to Rome to be heard in the imperial court and he had given military officers the command to uh, keep Paul under watch and to bring him safely under guard in captivity to Rome. And so there's always soldiers with Paul and he ends up being under house arrest in Rome, and we'll find out more about that in just a moment. Well, they picked up this ship from Malta that came from Alexandria, and that tells us that probably this was a grain ship, because as I've mentioned in previous episodes, the Egyptians had a huge uh, supply of grain, a very fertile Nile Delta area. Their main port was Alexandria, and they uh, frequently sent large consignments of grain to Rome. And this was almost certainly one of those ships upon which Paul and his companions and the soldiers um, joined. And they traveled, first of all, to Syracuse in Sicily, then to the uh, southern port of Regium in Italy, and then to Puteoli. Now, this port was the wheat distribution port. That's where the wheat ships came in from other parts of the Mediterranean. And it was about 240 kilometres south of Rome. And there was a road that joined them together, a very famous road known as the Via Appia. And this Port Putioli is near the modern city of Naples. The interesting thing about arriving in this city of Putioli is that Paul found some Christians there. Interesting. He'd never visited Italy before. He'd never preached there directly before. But churches had been founded in this country. Verse 14, there we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And this keeps happening to Paul. When he goes to places he finds that there are believers there and it's so exciting for him to find believers in a place that he knew really nothing about and had never been to before, never been involved with any mission there. But there was a church, and they said, stay with us. And so the group of travelers, including Luke, stayed for a week and the Roman guards must have given them permission to do that and would have stayed with them. The Roman guards had to be with them all the time. So they were there for that whole week while they received that hospitality. Now at Putioli they sent a message to the Christians in Rome, the church in Rome, to say that the Apostle Paul was on his way. What an exciting message that must have been. And the church in Rome would have been thrilled to know that the great apostle to the Gentiles was coming to them. He'd never been there before. And that's why they gave this wonderful gift to Paul, is that they travelled south to various stopovers along the road on this 240-kilometre journey. They they stopped over at um, the Forum of Appius and the three taverns. These were Uh, transit points along the road where there was hospitality available. And so as Paul travelled with his companions, there they were to meet him and to greet him and to welcome him into the city of Rome, where Paul was very excited to be there. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged Paul's plan to uh, get to Rome had taken him several years to fulfill, and he'd been held up by being two years in prison in Caesarea, but he'd finally got there, and it says that he was allowed to live by himself, that means under house arrest, with a soldier constantly in attendance. He was under arrest. He couldn't travel freely around the city. He had to stay in his home, but he had finally arrived there. Let's just think about this church in Rome. Why is there a church in Rome? As far as we know, none of the 12 apostles have been to Rome. None of the other early apostles have been to Rome. Paul and his team have not been to Rome. How could a church be formed in Rome? Well, the book of Acts has a clue because on the day of Pentecost, when Jews gathered from all over the Roman Empire and beyond for a big religious celebration in Jerusalem, as described in Acts chapter two, we find that Luke describes various different ethnic groups and places where these Jewish people had come from. And he includes in that description Visitors from Rome in Acts chapter 2. So Jewish visitors from Rome had come to a Jewish celebration, the Pentecost festival in large numbers, and then some of them experienced Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost and were converted to Jesus Christ on that day or shortly afterwards as the church grew from up to 3,000 to 5,000 and beyond, there were some people in that church whose actual home was Rome. They stayed on for a bit as the church was formed and I explained that in earlier episodes how some people stayed on for some months to be part of the church and then gradually went back home And so visitors from Rome would almost certainly have been converted. Then eventually, when they went home to Rome, what did they do? They formed a church. And this is the origin, almost certainly, of the church that Paul now meets for the first time. And some of those people, when they met Paul, they would have said, we were there on the day of Pentecost. These would be the older members of the church. Now, Paul had been very interested in this church in Rome, and he had already written a letter to them, which is the letter which we call Romans. And he says in Romans 1 verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have among the other Gentiles. So Paul said to them, I wanted to come to you. So they'd already received his letter. So this church must have been incredibly excited, because they'd read the Roman letter that Paul had written, a very powerful and long letter and significant letter, and now they were going to meet Paul face to face. But as our story moves on, Paul wants to connect with the Jewish community there and the synagogue community in Rome. There was a significant Jewish community in Rome, and indeed there has been right up until the present day, located particularly in the center of the city. So let's read what happens as Paul engages with the Jewish leaders, verses 17 to 22. Then three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and to talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So far, no word had got through to the synagogue in Rome from the Sanhedrin about Paul. And Paul wanted to connect with them. But whilst connecting with them, he knew that at some point in the future, a message would come from the Sanhedrin, giving a ruling or an opinion about Paul, which would influence them. And it would influence them because all the Jewish communities and synagogues throughout the Roman Empire and beyond were under the ultimate authority and jurisdiction of the Sanhedrin but no word had come at this point when he met them. So Paul had an opportunity to influence them before negative comments came through from the Sanhedrin and that's exactly what he tried to do. He wanted to bring the message of Jesus Christ to his fellow Jews yet again as he had done on many occasions and in many places as uh, we've seen as we've studied the book of Acts. So let's now read verses 23 to 29 and here is Paul communicating quite deeply with the Jewish community. They ranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses, and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to our ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Paul spoke to them principally about the kingdom of God. We see this in verse 23, explaining about the kingdom of God. This was his central theme, and this was a very important theme for Jewish people, because they knew that God had established a kingdom through King David. And they all knew that David would have an ultimate successor who would be the Jewish deliverer, saviour, or messiah. And so Paul was trying to connect Jesus to this idea of the kingdom and saying, well, actually, when Jesus came, he proclaimed the kingdom of God has come now to the Jewish people. So he told them the story of what Jesus had said and done and he went through the Old Testament to support his argument. We've noticed that Paul did this every time he went to the Jewish synagogues all over the Roman world. He'd go in the synagogue and he would open up the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish Bible, and he would take a prophecy or a passage or a statement and he would explain how it connected to Jesus. And probably on this occasion, uh, he would start with Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, which says to, where God spoke to Abraham and said, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And he would have explained to them that God was getting, was now blessing all the other nations of the earth through the Jewish people, through a Jewish Messiah who'd actually come, whose name was Jesus, who died and rose again. And now was the time for this blessing to go to the Gentiles. He would have gone through many of the prophecies of the Old Testament to confirm his argument. And it says that they spent a whole day discussing this. Now, Paul had the capacity to speak for days at a time. It's amazing. Uh, on one occasion, uh, do you remember, he spoke all the way through the night when he was in Troas and, and one young man fell asleep and fell off the ledge of the window and fell down and, and died and had to be raised again from the dead. You might remember that story. Well, the interesting thing about that is Paul was speaking for the whole night. I mean, he went on for hours. So here he goes on for the whole day, from one text to another text, question, answer, discussion, debate. Some people began to become Christians, others thought no. The majority of them thought no, 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 we can't accept this. This is uh, upsetting our traditions, we're not really sure about this. And so the day ended inconclusively with a divided Jewish opinion. Whenever Paul spoke the gospel amongst the Jews, there was a divided opinion. There were always some who believed and almost always the majority who didn't. And then they argued amongst themselves and usually the majority forced Paul out of the synagogue, out of the community, and in some cases, even out of the city where he was working. And we saw some examples of that earlier on as we studied the Book of Acts. But here, The situation is different. They can't force Paul to go anywhere because he's under the Roman guard. In fact, he mentions a chain. He's actually uh, um, shackled. He's chained, um, uh, probably loosely, in the uh, house that he's in. And the Roman guards are watching over while he's debating with the Jews. So the Jews will have to leave the house. They can't take Paul into custody. They can't do anything. The Romans have got him under their authority. But this ends with a rather sad moment where Paul quotes this remarkable prophecy from Isaiah chapter 6, which speaks of Isaiah being called to speak to the people of the ancient kingdom of Judah. Um, And even though he's speaking to them and he's been called to be a preacher to them, God predicts that they will not respond to his message And basically what Paul is saying here is that just as in Isaiah's time, the people of Judah failed to respond to the preaching of the prophets, so now in the time of Jesus and the apostles, the Jewish people are going to fail to respond as a nation, in the majority, to the gospel because their hearts have become hardened. Their inner attitudes have become hostile and defensive to this new truth and this new reality. So this was a very sad way to end. But that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 6 has an interesting conclusion that Paul would have in mind but is not quoted here. The prophecy basically says that over many years the people will not respond to the preaching of the prophets and they will face uh, a spiritual judgment. But verse 13 of Isaiah 6 is the final statement. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak have stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land. So the prophecy ends with a prediction that although the nation of Israel will be judged, there will be a remnant, like a stump of a tree that can grow again. And that's exactly the same thing that happens in the New Testament era. The majority of Jewish people don't believe, but there are a remnant, a small number who do, of which Paul is one. And Paul had this in mind. And so just a few of those Jews listening to him, probably believed, and joined the church. But Paul said he was now going to focus on the other ethnic groups in Rome, the Gentiles. And so, this brings us to (coughs) our final verses. And we come to verse 30 which says for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He's under house arrest. He's been able to rent a house. People have provided the money for that. The Romans are guarding him. He is, he is restricted um, by house arrest, but people are allowed to come. The Romans said people can come to the house and people kept coming to Paul for two whole years. His reputation went before him. The church came, Other Jewish people came, other Gentile people came. He began to preach effectively in this confinement for two years. And the final concluding comment of the book of Acts says, He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's where our book ends. It's a triumphant end. It's not the end of Paul's story, and that's a bit of a mystery we need to think about in just a moment. He's still in confinement. He hasn't been judged. He's still alive. What's going to happen next? Luke doesn't recount this, but what he does recount is that Paul has now (coughs) arrived in Rome And he is able to preach freely to those who came to him right there in the imperial capital. And so we have an interesting pattern established in the Book of Acts. It starts right on the fringe of the Roman Empire, right in the most eastern province in Judea. The Christian message is proclaimed on the day of Pentecost to a Jewish audience, but now The gospel is established in the capital city. Paul is within a very short distance of the imperial palace where the emperor is ruling the greatest empire of the ancient European and Middle Eastern world. And the gospel is being proclaimed. And this is symbolic in the way that Luke describes it. And this concluding statement (coughs) is one of Gospel advance. And so I want to just pause for a moment and remind us all, if we haven't followed through uh, all the uh, episodes, just to remind us that the pattern of the Book of Acts divides very easily into six series. And those six series represent the Gospel advancing into a new place or geographical area or a new ethnic group. And at, every, at the end of every one of those six sections is a summary statement. And I'm going to now read the summary statements for you as a conclusion, just to see this pattern, because we've come to the final one. After describing the success of the gospel in Jerusalem in Acts 6-7, Luke writes, and so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When the gospel spread to all of uh, ancient Israel, Judea and Samaria, in Acts 9.31, At the end of that description, Luke says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. And then when the gospel was beginning to go to the Gentile nations for the first time uh, in Acts 12, 24, the summary statement is, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. You can see the pattern, can't you? I've mentioned it before, but this is the climax of that particular pattern. And when the gospel went to Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, uh, as um, Paul led the mission there, in at the end of that description, in Acts 16, verses four and five, Uh, Luke writes, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And then as the church enters Europe, when uh, Paul goes to Macedonia and Greece, that section is summarized in Acts 19 verse 20 with this statement, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And that's the context in which this final series about the gospel going to Rome says that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so in every step of the journey, Luke is describing the gospel spreading through real courage of the leaders the miraculous power of God, and amidst considerable difficulties and setbacks, but it still keeps spreading. And that's really a key message of the book of Acts. And so we ask ourselves the question as we gradually come to a conclusion, so what happened next in the life of Paul? Luke must have written this account very quickly after these events, otherwise he'd have described things that happened afterwards. We don't have uh, much information about what happened afterwards. What we do have is some letters that Paul wrote much later in his life that speak about being near the end of his life. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus particularly, which suggest (coughs) that Paul had traveled on another missionary journey, been rearrested, and was in prison again, awaiting execution. So the possibility exists, and many people believe, that Paul was actually acquitted by the imperial court. When he finally got to court uh, in front of either the emperor or his legal representatives, that he was probably set free and he had one more missionary journey. Some of the references in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus suggest Paul traveling again after this particular event. Then he was probably rearrested and church tradition suggests that he finally was martyred in Rome. But the, the New Testament doesn't tell us the final end of Paul's life. So as we reflect at this very, very last moment, of our amazing time together with these 47 episodes over six series covering the whole book of Acts. What can we say by way of final reflection? In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus predicted to the 11 apostles, 11 of the original 12, before his resurrection. Famously, he said to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now we come to the end of the book of Acts. We know that the gospel is spreading to the ends of the earth. It's spreading further and further away. And this is only one aspect of it that's described here. We know from other historical information in the early church that some of the other apostles traveled probably to Egypt and then east of, east of uh, uh, Judea uh, and po- possibly as, as far as India and, and North uh, towards uh, Turkey and countries to the east of Turkey, as we would describe them like, uh, in the modern world, like Armenia, those kind of countries. So we know there was a movement, and Paul's um, mission was one of those key movements of the gospel moving out. So we know that the prediction of Jesus in Acts 1 verse 8 came true through the power the Holy Spirit. The church kept together despite opposition and difficulties. We know that Paul was ambitious and had huge ambitions beyond his visit to Rome. He says in Romans 15 verses 23 to 24, but now there is no more place for me to work in these regions since I've been longing for many years to visit you. I plan to do so When I go to Spain, I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. So Rome wasn't Paul's ultimate destination after all. It's the ultimate destination of the Book of Acts, but we know that he wanted to use Rome as a springboard for a new mission in the Western Mediterranean, to go to Spain, a country he'd almost certainly never visited in his life before. What an amazing story. And the Book of Acts is like an unfinished story. And that unfinished story unfolds In the lives of the apostles in the immediate years afterwards, but it continues to unfold in the church to this very day as modern 21st century Christians take the inspiration of the book of Acts to know that God is with us by the power of his spirit and has commanded us to keep spreading the gospel to every place in the world. And we know that despite incredible opposition, spiritual strongholds, political opposition, personal opposition, economic hardship, a lot of difficulties traveling and moving from place to place, despite all these, the church succeeded in this original apostolic period in spreading the gospel far and wide. And we know that it is God's will that we should continue on the same mission. And that is the mission to which you and I are called. So thank you so much for being with us through the book of Acts. If you haven't heard in some of the earlier episodes, uh, please do take the opportunity to do that. If you've listened all the way through and here you are, are at the end, can I say thank you so much for joining this on this episode amazing journey. Hope to see you again. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.